When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code SPOTIFY to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code SPOTIFY at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code SPOTIFY. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. <laughs> Welcome back to the Final Four. It's not on the schedule. He is Rod. I am Cam. Uh, and we're here to preview uh, the first meeting between Michigan State and the Maryland Terps. Um, and Maryland comes into this one 14-10 and 10, uh, overall, 8-9 and nine in the conference. Um, although they are on a kind of a hot streak, four-game winning streak. Uh, and they're 28th in Ken Palm, 37 on offense, 27 on defense. Uh and they're right around, I think, 31 in the net. Um, so, I guess before we get into this, uh, Rod, I've just, I'd like, because I've been looking at, I'm, as I'm sure a lot of the listeners have, um, Michigan State's net ranking. Um, <laughs> uh, and their efficiency ranking is both pretty pretty low, even after they've just won three straight and um, beat two of the best teams in the country. Um, you know, where, where do you kind of sit on that? I, I have some theories about, about that, but. Well, I think both particularly net seem to be driven by um, in Michigan state's case. I think it's because of the nature of some of the losses Michigan State doesn't have bad losses, really, in terms of where an opponent is ranked. So worst would be Northwestern, I think. And Northwestern's not that bad. Northwestern's a top 100 team. Really, in the Big Ten this year, the only loss that's even possible to be bad is Nebraska. Mm-hmm. You know, So the fact that MSU went undefeated in the non-conference and then has played in the Big Ten and beat Nebraska twice means – they don't have any bad losses, but they do have damaging losses when you look at margins. MSU has been run out of the gym four or five times, two, well, three times by big margins. I mean, they've got two 30-point losses. I think they have a 25-point loss as well. That's why. Yeah. It, it's as simple as that, you know? Um because the non-conference, and, and maybe marginally on the other side, that some of those non-conference wins were not by bigger margins. Uh-huh. They didn't have, they don't have really blowout wins. The one blowout win, kind of, I guess, with any credibility behind it, would be that first game against Rutgers. Mm-hmm. That's really it in terms of blowout wins. I think that, you know, the nine-point win against Illinois was impressive and probably helpful, but... 
it, it's not enough to offset just how badly they've gotten drilled. Now, you can argue with that. You can say, and have some justification, I think, look, a win is a win, a loss is a loss, right? Mm-hmm. But the argument against that is that margins are predictive. And generally speaking, they do a pretty good job of sorting out whether a team is legitimately good or not. And Michigan State's been on the other end of this. I can remember not so much last year's team, but the year prior that won the Big Ten. um, There was a point in time that MSU team was not just beating people, but regularly running up double-digit victory margins. Mm. And it was indicative of, of the fact that they were just that much better than everybody else. It, it did tell a story that ultimately was borne out in them winning the title and in them making a run to the Final Four. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to argue with that and say, well, Michigan State's getting robbed. That stuff does matter. I think this is a weird year, though. And <laughs> yeah, I was going to say that. And, and they did change the net. Um, after last year, they changed it in April, where it used to be five components, which was the, the main one was the quadrant um, algorithm, uh, you know, that mm-hmm. everyone knows about. The second right. one was adjusted efficiency that we always talk about. And then right. three of the smaller components is what they did away with, which was winning percentage, weighted adjusted winning percentage, and scoring margin. Well, they can claim they've done away with it, but if you mm. look at the movement that Michigan State has had or not had, it tells a different story. I'm not yeah. sure that I buy that. There were instances with the RPI where they would claim, you know, the predecessor in that, where they would claim, well, this we're not considering this anymore, and then you would look at the way it works that you clearly are. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, the, it wouldn't the movement would not be explainable any other way. So I'm not sure that I believe that. Um, Put it this way, given the last two games, there's no other possible justification for it because we've got other teams like this Maryland team, for example. It's one game, well, it's a half game ahead of Michigan State in the Big Ten standings, right? Yeah. And Michigan State has a better non-conference than Maryland had in terms of quality wins because I don't believe Maryland beat anybody that's a likely tournament team. I'd have to no. look at their schedule again. Clemson. Michigan State. Or no, they lost to okay. Clemson. They lost. Right. Michigan State did. Michigan State took out Duke, who for the moment I think is probably most people believe a tournament team. They're, it's precarious, but mm-hmm. that's what I think the, the standard belief would be uh, on a consensus basis. Um, and beat another high major in, in Notre Dame. So there's no other explanation, right? And, and Maryland's other, 32 and Michigan State is 60. Right. Uh, so it's and, and Maryland's got some good wins, too. Maryland, I think, beat Wisconsin on the road. Um, and then I think, they, I think they also beat Illinois. They got from they, they beat um, Wisconsin. They beat Illinois on the road. Wisconsin and Illinois on the road. Okay. Minnesota so, on the road and Purdue at home. Okay. So the big ones there are the road wins. So they've got – but Wisconsin has, at this point – not been what we expected. They're no longer an upper tier team. Yeah. You know, in the Big Ten. So that one maybe doesn't mean as much. Michigan State just got done with two elite teams in the Big Ten and nationally, one on the road, one at home. Um I'm sorry, both at home. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Both at home. 
that's probably the difference. Though their two marquee wins were road wins, Michigan State's were at home, and that does matter, home versus road. I, that is also, as I understand it, seems to be a factor, uh, certainly in net, um, in terms of where these games are happening. So that probably gives Maryland a little edge. But is that, if we're saying that margin of victory isn't a factor, is that enough to justify 30 spots differential? No. A 30-spot differential in the ratings? No, I don't think so. Yeah, and there's a lot of weird anomalies like that. You can go – you look at it, Duke, Duke is ahead of them. They're, Duke is 49. They're 11 and 8. Uh, right. Kentucky's in a ahead weaker, of them. In a weaker league. They're 8 yeah. and 13. Yep. <laughs> you know, it's just – Yeah. I, well, here here's the thing. I've been of the belief since the start of the season, and, I, and you and I are obviously both believers – in the metric systems that are used, right? To one degree or another. I don't think they're perfect. Um, I think Ken Palm is probably better than that. Yeah, the efficiency is pretty good. Probably because, for the most part, because net is still a black box. They don't fully disclose, at least with Ken Pomeroy, you know exactly what's going into it. Pomeroy has his own issues, too, in that, like any other system, he has to kind of start from – you can't start everybody from zero. You start from a baseline Mm -hmm. that may or may not have much relation to reality. But generally – this is going to get to my objection this year. Generally speaking, by mid-December, so prior to conference schedules starting for the most part, the kinks have been worked out. And when you look at Ken Palm, the vast majority of the time, in my opinion at least, it tracks pretty close to what your assumptions would be absent looking. If you're an intelligent fan who's aware of what's going on, it makes sense, right? It's not that often that we look at Ken Palm and say, wow, this is nuts. And the reason for that is it takes time. It takes games. It takes data for that system to kind of get honed to a point that it's actually reflecting reality. Mm-hmm. The early Ken Palm numbers, you can't put a lot on for that reason. My objection is this year, you didn't ever get enough data. You had not conference schedules that were so restricted, not just in terms of number of games, but let's also remember we got nowhere near the level of interconference play that we would normally get Michigan yeah. state. We just said had two games against high majors, which was pretty good considering what some other schools did um, in Duke and Notre Dame. But in a normal year, we'd have had the, um, we'd have had the champions classic. We'd have had the big 10 ACC challenge, which are those two games. But we have also had, at least in some years, we'd have had a Gavit. We'd have had a Gavit games, contest against a big east school and we'd have had a holiday tournament during thanksgiving that would have either been two or more often than not three games normally all of which are against high major or near high major opponents Mm -hmm. that's a lot of games and a lot of data that we didn't get this year and so i've been of the feeling from jump that the committee was not going to be able to utilize metrics the same way they normally do, that it would be helpful. It would be part of the equation, but it's not going to be the be all and end all because I don't think you can fairly say that it is quite as related to the truth as it would be in a normal year. 
I, I think we're all, everybody's of the opinion that the Big Ten is far and away the best league in the country. Mm-hmm. And I think that's probably true. But even there, do we have enough? I, I finally heard somebody, of all people, God help me for agreeing with him. I was watching, uh, I occasionally watch some of the stuff on the Field of 68 podcast network, video podcast network, uh-huh. which can be really good. And Jeff Goodman, who I, I often think is a clown, um, made this point, though, the other day. It was this week at some stage. And I happened to be watching an episode. There was some reason in terms of what they were. Oh, I think it was the aftermath of the MSU versus Illinois game. I wanted to see what they had to say. And he was talking about that in general, that he said the same thing that I just basically did, which is, look, I think the Big Ten's the best league, but do we have enough to really know that for sure the way we do in most seasons? And I think there's a good argument to say that we don't. So it's especially damning when you get into like these cross conference things where you're talking about Duke versus an MSU. Why is Duke rated higher? What rational reason is there for that? And I'm not sure there is one, but nevertheless, there they are. And, I, I and think this there is not is... bias or favoritism in a sense. It could be in terms of where Duke started out before any games were played, but man, in a normal year by now, that's have, that will have been worked out. Mm-hmm. to reflect reality and we're not seeing that entirely you know I, I think I think that teams as, and Michigan State falls into this um, we're hurt to some degree if they played a, a, you know a fairly full non-conference so they played all seven a lot of teams only played four some three you know like Penn State yeah four and to give you an example Michigan State comes into the year ranked 11th they win seven straight games. Um, granted, they didn't just demolish everybody, but everyone's a healthy margin, mostly more than 10. Uh, and then they enter uh, the first game against Northwestern, ranked 20th. So after seven games, they've dropped uh, right. 10 spots, even though they've won every game. And I, I think that and then if you look at Duke, so Duke was one of those that only played four. Uh, they played, yeah, four games before they got really into their um, – conference and they missed the three or four weeks there uh they on the other hand lost to they lost to michigan state they lost to illinois they beat bellarmine and copen state they went from two to 13 so I, I think if you're not playing and everyone else is playing even if you're playing a, a weaker opponent you're probably actually going to rise more so that, well, than somebody who beat the weaker opponent because that, you're just it. rolling with your current and then you're right about that. You you can actually be damaged regardless of result if yeah. you're playing against a low-rated team. But here's the other thing that comes around. Okay, let's look at those low-rated teams. So you've got Oakland and U of D, who are Horizon teams, and you have Western and Eastern, who are MAC teams. Should the, Were those teams rated accurately at that stage? Who the hell knows? Right, yeah. <laughs> You know, and and that's the thing. I think by my point is you have more games in general in a normal year. By the time you get to conference play, the kinks have kind of been, it's been smoothed out to mm-hmm. some extent. We didn't get that this year and you're right. So then the damage can be, you might benefit from not playing at all versus playing and beating a lowly rated team. And how the hell does that make any sense? But 
I, I do think the, the most compelling thing to me in terms of a difference between, say, a Maryland and a Michigan state, where the profiles, as Tom Izzo pointed out, are strikingly similar in some ways. Um, I have to believe it's those the biggest factor is the fact that Michigan State just got waxed multiple mm-hmm. times. Just taking losses in those games wouldn't, I don't think, would have been as damaging, certainly in net. Uh, but even in Ken Palm, too, margin of victory factors in. Mm-hmm. So I think that's what I would lean toward. But, you know, again, getting back to the point Izzo made about Maryland, the thing that's interesting about Maryland is the similarities. They had some impressive wins. I happen to think Michigan State's are a little more impressive, even though Maryland got it on the road, because the difference between beating Wisconsin on the road, who has proven to not be as good as we thought, including myself, mm-hmm. and yet Michigan State beating an Ohio State team that is clearly much, much better than anybody thought and would have a credible argument to be the second best team in the league. Um, I think Michigan state's got better wins, uh, but Maryland is on a four game win streak. Michigan state's on a three game win streak. So they too have kind of come back from the dead. They're a little bit ahead of MSU in that they're considered to be very clearly in the field at this point. Mm-hmm. MSU is still by most accounts, you're on either side of the line. I think most people conclude if MSU takes care of business in these next two games against Maryland and IU, they're in, and it really doesn't matter what happens the rest of the way. And I, I am in that camp. Um, whereas I don't know if Mar- Maryland may be in a better situation. Maryland may have to really tank the end here. I mean, they've only got three games left. Um, but uh, I think they're in pretty good shape. But the similarities are there. Maryland has elevated its play. The, the one difference, I, I think, is Maryland's four-game win streak has come against pretty substandard opposition by Big Ten standards. Yeah, Minnesota, two Nebraska games, and a Rutgers. Right, so Rutgers is the only turn, likely tournament team out of that group. Um, and that's an impressive win, because I think that came at the rack. Yep. Yeah. So again, Maryland's Maryland team has proven to be able to win on the road, which is good for them. That's that helps. But you know, Michigan State's run is against Indiana, who probably isn't going to be a tournament team in my opinion, but they were considered one when MSU beat them. And then obviously the Illinois and Ohio State wins are, you know, as good as anybody not named Michigan has had in the league this year, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think both teams come in hot. I think Michigan State's been a little more impressive lately, in my opinion, just because the caliber of opposition has been so much better. Yeah. Uh, so if you look at Maryland's profile, um, tw- or 37 on offense, um, and primarily that's uh, driven 66% in effective field goal percentage, 66 in twos, um, and 34.7% from threes. Yeah. Decent, decent shooting team. Um, and, and here's where it happens. This is not a team with great post threats. So the two point percentage is not driven by that. It's improved three point shooting from some guys. And so that's made them a tougher cover. And then they got a lot of guys that can drive the ball. This is a small ball team. Mm -hmm. They won't start anybody taller than six, seven. So this is going to be small ball versus small ball, uh, in this game, at least to start. Uh, the difference is Michigan State has a little more in terms of size that they can actually play mm-hmm. off their board, likely to play at least off their bench. Um, 
But Maryland, the converse of that is Maryland's got a lot of guys that can drive the basketball. Yeah. So that has resulted in a very, very nice season from inside the arc also. Mm. Uh, and then 55th in turnover percentage. What's new? Another game against a Big Ten opponent, another team that's got, uh, you know, top 60-ish turnover percentage number. The Big Ten's got a lot of these teams now. Yep. Uh, the, the bad news is, I guess – maybe expected when you're starting center six, seven uh, offensive rebounding three twenty one. Yeah. It, it's, it's so bad that I, and, and conversely, as we're going to talk about in a second, they're really, really good on the defensive class. So what that tells me is that's not even just size. That's that uh, Mark Turgeon has decided to approach this in a particular way, because a big 10 team has to really work to be that bad. (laughs) I mean, it's almost got to be a choice. I don't remember whether any of the Bo Ryan era, Wisconsin teams were quite that bad or the John Beeline, Michigan teams, but those were bad offensive rebounding teams, but it was, it was by choice in that those guys put much more value on floor balance and we don't want to get beaten transition ever. So Mm -hmm. we will give up on offensive boards. It's just not going to be part of what we do or emphasize. And, and I got to think with a number that bad, I have honestly, I've not seen Maryland as much as I normally would have. Um, so I'm not certain of that, but I have to conclude that's part of it along with the size too. But um, you know, Maryland is a team that in recent years, if you think about guys like, and I didn't look at the stats, but I'm, I'm pretty sure in recent years with guys like Smith, you know, stick Smith, uh, Bruno Fernando, those types, yeah, they've been pretty good on the offensive glass. Mm-hmm. You know, they've been reasonably solid there. So this is a choice, which may be driven by their lack of size. Uh, yeah, last year there were 66 in offensive rebounds. Right, so there you go. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so that's that. That's pretty clearly. I'm sure it's a it's a strategic choice, but you could say fairly it's maybe one that's been driven by personnel as well. Sixty nine percent from the line, um, and they take a lot of threes. Uh, Twenty three attempts a game. Yep. And they play very slow. Three twelve. Profile is not too dissimilar from Ohio State in some ways. They're not as elite as Ohio State offensively, but when you look at the profile, decent shooting three-point team that takes a fair amount of them. Um, they don't turn it over much. You know, Maryland's just not as good as Ohio State in any of these things, but the profile is similar. Mm-hmm. And like Ohio State, not a lot of obvious, like big, legit, obvious post-threat big men. Ohio State does have Liddell and Key, who, as we saw, can operate in the post very, very well, but I mean, they don't have one of these seven-foot, you know, Coburn, um, Garza, Dickinson types. You know, it just puts Ohio State's a lot better down there, but physically, the the listed size is somewhat similar. Mm -hmm. Uh, On defense, a little bit better. Um, 123rd in effective uh, field goal percentage against 81 against the twos, 214 against the threes. Um, and uh, the opponents are getting a lot of attempts up against them almost as much as they're taking 23.4 a game. Yeah. Yeah. That's the thing that would disturb me. It's not even just the percentage it's that, and they're giving up a high percentage, but they're also giving up a lot of shots mm-hmm. from out there. So that tells me there's, there's an issue. Um, the two point percentage against is not bad 
And again, considering how small they are, it's kind of impressive. Yeah, and they're great re- or defensive rebounding team, 47, uh, and they right. don't foul much, 82 yep. in block percentage, even though they're I small. Would say, I would say those two things you just mentioned, the, um, the defensive rebounding and a lack of fouling has a lot to do with why they've got a decent defensive rating. Um, where are they rated defensively? Um, 27 overall. So they're better than Michigan State. Michigan State has just gotten into the top 40 defensively, I believe. Um, and and yet, I would take this Michigan State team defensively over Maryland right now. But still, you look, you look at those numbers, um, that's what's driving it, in my opinion. It's that they, they are terminating possessions. So you miss a shot, that's it. You're not getting second chances very often. And they're not putting people on the line. That's a big, big deal. Mm-hmm. Not a lot of points. Um, if you look at their starters, um, and, and these guys, I mean, they—they, they, I mean, technically they're small because they're small down low, but they do have some decent length and size on the wings. Um, I think that's played into the defensive rebounding as well. You're mm-hmm. right about that. That it's 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 a small team in the sense that. They don't have any one player particularly tall, but across the board, there's there's a lot of guys who are similarly in that six five to six seven range. Yeah, I mean, basically all of them in about two hundred to two thirty five, most of them two hundred. But uh, Eric Ayala, six three junior, um, averaging a team high fourteen point six points a game, forty five from the floor, thirty six from three, eighty three from the line, uh, and he leads them in free throw attempts at almost four games. He's he's had a bounce back season. I mean, the three point shooting percentage is still not plus forty where I think they'd like it, but it's improved. Last year he had a really rough sophomore season. It's a bounce back. I think the only surprise to me with him is that he hasn't been a better playmaker. I really thought he was going to step forward and be a pretty good point guard for them. Mm. And in fact, he's not even the primary playmaker. I think he's third on the team in assists. Um, he's nominally the point guard, but they don't really, they, they don't play through him consistently. You know, his, his primary value right now is as a scorer and defender, but a better season for him, a bounce back season after kind of a rough sophomore campaign in some mm. ways. Uh, and it almost seems like they're sort of dealing with the same thing Michigan state is and that you lose a kind of a true point guard in Cohen. <laughs> Absolutely. It was, Izzo touched on that, and I think we talked about it in the season preview, that Maryland had a similar issue to Michigan State. They lost their point guard, they lost their five-man, you know, and and that is particularly at the point guard where both uh, Cohen and and, uh, Cassius Winston were four-year guys. Mm -hmm. You know, that's, (laughs) that's a lot to lose. And, and so that's going to impact you in terms of how you played. So a lot of parallels between the two teams as it's ended up this season. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Aaron Wiggins, 6'6", junior, 13.5 points a game, 5.8 rebounds, 42 from the floor, 33 from 379 from the line. Uh, and he's had a nice five-game stretch here, scoring more than 17 points a game. I was reading an article in the Washington Post the other day where they said, and, and this is probably true, um, this is the best stretch of Aaron Wiggins' career. 
Aaron Wiggins is a guy with a very, very impressive freshman season, but it was as a role player. And then last year, they wanted him and expected him to step up, and it didn't happen. He really struggled with his shot. Mm-hmm. You look at the season stats from three, and they're okay. As you said, 33%, right? Yeah. It's not horrible, but it's also not screaming, you know, top of the scouting report guy either, right? But lately, he's been a lot better. The other thing is the balance that he's had in his game is very different now. His first two years, this is a guy who was at, you know, 60%-ish in terms of his the number of attempts coming from three of his total attempts from the floor. So what that means is essentially that's that's what he's given you as a, a three-point shooter, and he's not shooting a particularly high percentage as he didn't as a sophomore. That's a problem, mm-hmm. right? I think it was like 150 out of 250 shots, something like that, came from three, and he was a sub-30% shooter. That's not good. This year, he's shooting a little better, but the bigger deal is I think it's only 40% of his shots are coming from three. Yeah. So he's playing inside the arc much more effectively. That's made him a better player. So I think it counts the bounce-back year for him too, especially lately. Yeah, and he's uh, tied for the team lead in assists with 63 He's done that as well. Right. So he's found different ways to contribute than he used to. And that, that matters. You know, um, if a guy can, can round his game out, uh, even if he's struggling in that supposed area of strength, the rounding out can, can result in that positive. And I think it has for Wiggins. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then uh, Hakeem Hart, who's really had a, a like increased role this season after playing yes. not very much, hardly anything last year, right. six, six sophomore, 7.7 points a game, 46 from the floor, 33 from three, 76 from the line uh, and three and a half rebounds a game. Yeah. He got off to a big start this year. I can't, I wish I could remember which opponent it was. He had a game where he just went off like 30 plus. And because it was early in the season, People were overreacting. Oh my God, they, this guy barely played. They buried him on the bench. And look at him now. And well, it's it's leveled off, you yeah. know. Saint Peter's. But he's still having. This is not a deep team. So everybody we're going to talk about is needed. Mm-hmm. You know, they do not go deep, and and it's been important that he's at least stepped up enough to be a reliable uh, rotation guy. You know, part of the whole, not the not the star, but part of the whole. Yeah. Uh, and then Daryl Morcel, 6'5", senior, 8.4 points a game, 3.7 rebounds, uh, and tied for the team lead in assists uh, with 63. Uh, shooting 45 from the floor, 24 from three, 55 from the line. Yeah, he's. I think he's the epitome of a glue guy. He's a guy, you mentioned the assists. Well, he's kind of like a – this team, I think he's probably the power forward. Okay. <laughs> And he's tied for the lead in assists. Um, he's a very good defensive player, always has been, as an individual defender. I, I think the only negative is that over his career, he had a steady progression to the point where last year, I think, and I don't have it in front of me, but I think he might have even gotten to be a mid-30s three-point shooter. Yeah, 33% he, last year. Yeah, okay, so almost mid. But he he was really bad when he got there, and he just got better and better and better. And he's gone backward this year. So that's limited the point production a little bit that he, he hasn't been quite as consistent with the jumper, but you know, he's just a guy that does the dirty work for them and you need that. 
Uh, and then Donta Scott, 6'7", sophomore, uh, 11.8 points a game, team high, 6.8 rebounds, 52 from the floor, 45 from 368 from the line. Conversely, this is a guy that has expanded his game. That three-point percentage is impressive. And considering that he plays five on this small team, well, that's tough, you know, against certain matchups. And and even against Michigan State, you know, um, if Julius Marble, as I would expect, since it's been the pattern lately, starts the game, Dante Scott's going to test him because you got to go out and if I can extend the floor, you've got to get out and cover him. Mm-hmm. He's a legitimate threat. I liked him last year. He was a guy that in that recruiting class was sort of buried. They had some other guys that were higher profile recruits and the Mitchell brothers, the Mitchell twins, particularly one of them. And yet as the season unfolded, Dante Scott was the guy that was playing. He eventually became a starter and had a pretty nice freshman season, but he's taken it up another level this year because of the shooting primarily. I think the other things he had, he's just, he's six, seven, but he's a tough guy. He's a physical guy. He's not in the Liddell class. Don't be worried about that as a post player, but he's good enough down low to do some damage. And, and yet he could step away from the rim and hurt you there too. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's their leading shot blocker on a team that doesn't have any one guy, but they got a lot of guys who occasionally will block a shot. He's the best good rebounder at 6.8 a game. Good defensive player, versatile. There's a lot to like with him. He's a he's a nice player. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then reserves, uh, they're in the Maryland's in the three hundreds, um, like three oh one in bench minutes. So they, right, they are really relying on their their five guys. Um, but Jarius Hamilton is a guy who does get some time. Six um, eight junior transfer from Boston College. 6.9 points a game, 2.5 rebounds in about 20 minutes. Um, 44 from the floor, 39 from 369 from the line. Yeah. Um, you know, these next two guys we're going to talk about were both transfers, and that's ended up being very important because without them, Maryland would have essentially no functional bench. Um, Hamilton is an interesting guy in that He's physically one of the bigger guys in their playing group. He's 6'8", about 230. But offensively, he's all jump shooter. You know, a lot of, lot of threes. Um, and he shoots them decently, so it's not a problem. It's just he doesn't play the way you might think he would looking at his, his physical stats, you know, his physical profile. Um, and they could use a guy who played that way. He's not really it. Uh, but he's been helpful, you know, to have a guy like that around who's got experience, steps right in, and is at least a contributing part of the rotation. That's not nothing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Galen Smith, six nine grad transfer from Alabama. Uh, he's he has started sixteen times this year, but he's only averaging four point one points a game, two and a half rebounds in fifteen minutes, fifty nine percent from the floor, sixty three percent at the free throw line. Yeah, I mean, again, experienced at the high major level, extend your bench at least a little. And if they're in a position where they feel they need minutes from a more or less legit five, he's there. Mm-hmm. He gives them that physically. So, you know, let's just say if Scott happens to be in foul trouble and Michigan State actually is getting something done in the post, maybe Julius Marble is having one of those games where 
he's operating on the low blocks and getting some, some things done scoring wise. Um, this is a guy who physically you could bring in to pitch relief minutes and, and he's going to be able to give you something. As you said, he started a fair amount. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Reese Mona, 6-2 walk-on. Um, <laughs> it, was, it was really emerged as the eighth guy in the rotation. Uh, played 10 and 8 minutes in their last two games. Um, averaging just under a point, 50% from the floor, 33 from three, and 33 from the line. It, it is a rough situation there. Um, you know, they've got a couple of scholarship freshman guards that were playing in that role earlier, but they've, they've gone, Turgeon's gone this way to a walk on, I, I assume for a reason. Um, but yeah, that's not ideal. Let's, let's put it that way. So heavy, it's, you know, it's a good thing for Maryland that this team doesn't fall very much mm-hmm. because it allows the guys like Ayala and Wiggins and, and Marcel and Hart to play those minutes, you know, and they don't have to worry about, well, we got to steal 10 minutes, you know, like Michigan state sometimes has to do. Uh, Maryland has not had that issue and it's important that they don't because there's not much there. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, you look at Maryland last year coming down the stretch, they just collapsed um, yeah. with even, and even with a championship on the line, you know, and they still got a share of it, but uh they had, yeah, but that was that they, was the ultimate. That was the ultimate back into a championship. Yeah, and I, I have Wisconsin to believe and Michigan State closed their seasons out red hot. Both mm-hmm. play, I think Wisconsin went nine and one down the stretch, and we know what Michigan State was doing. They went out and beat a bunch of ranked teams. Multiple of those games were on the road um, to get their share of it. Maryland just kind of hobbled to the finish line, mm-hmm. and maybe you wonder. You know, with the amount of minutes that all these guys play, if that has a factor in it, they did the, basically the same thing last year. They were even less bench minutes last year, but um, I guess something to look for coming down the stretch with them. Yeah, the only good news for them is they've only got three games left. Yeah. So, you know, and, and with the amount of work they've done, um, I would think they probably want to win one more just to be safe. Um. But I think with their profile, just as I've talked about, I felt like a Michigan State team that ended up 8-12 and 12 in the league was not out of it. Mm-hmm. Probably would need a Big Ten tournament win to get in, but was not out of it. Maryland's got a better profile than MSU, so they could probably be even more justified to feel that way. That, hey, even if we lose these last three, we're still, in, we're still there. We're still in okay shape. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know how much it'll hurt them, but, um, yeah. Now the other thing we should mention is, and I didn't have this in the keys, but it's worth mentioning. Maryland has been off, I think since Sunday. No, I'm sorry. That's wrong. Since Tuesday, maybe. No, Sunday. They played. Was it Sunday? So it was a full week. Yeah. Jeez. Okay. So they've been a full week and we've talked about how that's always built into the big 10 schedule. You'll have one or two weeks like that. Michigan State hasn't had that advantage ever this year because of the COVID layoff. They just never had that opportunity. So MSU is coming off, you know, they play uh, on Tuesday against Illinois, on Thursday against Ohio State, and then Sunday at Maryland. That's a lot of games. Now, (laughs) 
the advantage is at least those two games were at home. Mm-hmm. But, you know, now you're going on the road. It's, you know, I, there's a lot of concern I've seen in the Michigan State media about, um, you know, are the minutes that these guys have been playing and just the frequency of these games going to eventually result in them hitting a wall. Um, if that were going to happen, this might be the time for it. Mm-hmm. So the circumstances, Maryland just had a lot more rest, but the flip side of it is Michigan state right now has got to be coming in feeling as confident as they have all season long, clearly. Yeah. And yeah. so when you're in that mindset, you want to just keep playing, right? Yeah. And they, they have some guys that have played a lot, but they're 20th in the country in bench minutes. So yeah. it's not and, like Josh Langford's been clocking four, like 38 minutes a game for three or four right. weeks. And and the the one slight positive of that first half against OSU, where Langford sat for 10 minutes and Henry sat for seven, is that they got a little more rest than they've been getting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's enforced, you know. Um, so they should be fresher than they might be otherwise. But I just thought we should mention it because I, I don't have it in the keys that once again, just as with Ohio State, we're dealing with a situation where the opponent comes in with a lot more rest mm-hmm. and has been able to focus on Michigan State, whereas Michigan State couldn't turn to Maryland until yesterday, until Friday. Yeah. Uh, so the keys, defend the arc. Um, yeah. What's new? Yeah, the big part of attack for, for Maryland. I mentioned, you know, the profile is similar. The number of three-point attempts they take per game is exactly what Ohio State's is, 23. They're not quite as good shooting as Ohio State, but they're close. They're near 35% as a team. So, And they've been shooting it a little better lately, by the way. So, it, look, it, it's simple. I, I, I don't know what more anybody would need to see to be convinced if there are any holdouts out there. But to me... It is as simply put as this. If Michigan State holds the opponent down, especially in attempts, but also in percentage made of threes, they will be competitive. Mm. They will have a chance to a legitimate chance to win a game. If they don't do those things, they've got a problem. It's I think it's just that simple. Until I see somebody upset that formula, mm-hmm. I'm convinced of it. And, and further... I'm convinced that this Michigan State team is fully capable of doing that against anybody because they have. They've been playing teams that shoot the three extremely well or like Ohio State, maybe their season total is only good, not great, but lately they have been on fire. Mm -hmm. And Michigan State just shuts them down, shuts them down, shuts them down. So... It's once again, it's at the top of this of this list to me. It's the number one thing for the team at either end. Do that, you can compete. Mm. It's not enough to win a game. You need to do some other things, which we'll talk about, to get a win. But to stay competitive, to not have one of those games where you run out of the gym, you got to do that. Uh, and then the second key, get to the rim. Now, the other thing we've been talking about with regularity, right? Mm-hmm. And what has marked this three-game win streak just as much as holding the opponents down from three is that Michigan State has finally started to score in the paint with regularity. It's not coming via pure post-ups very often. Occasionally we see it. But the, the main one thing that helped in the Ohio State game 
was Michigan State actually got a decent amount of transition game going early. It didn't sustain, but they got some easy ones at the rim just via layups and dunks early on. That would be nice to see here. I'm not holding my breath. Maryland, I think, will be with that offensive rebounding being what it is. I think they'll be putting an emphasis on floor balance. Um, so that's going to mean they got to get it other ways. But they've proven to be able to do that. The main reason is Aaron Henry. Aaron Henry has been able to break opponents down and just kind of survey the floor, pick his spots, and get himself into the lane, get himself to the rim, and do damage, and occasionally be a post-ups. Mm. Um, always greedy. I always want to see more of it. So I'd love to see Michigan State get more done with the fives that way, whether it's you know Marble's the most obvious choice, but Markey can do some of that. And he, in fairness, Markey has been scoring some in these recent games. He's been yeah. consistently six, seven, eight points a night. Um, you know, maybe get something out of Kithier. He's got a knack for getting open. Um, but get those guys into the mix. Maybe, you know, the, the Hauser-Hall combination can give you a little bit more inside as we go, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the third key, Rocket. Tough, yeah. tough game against OSU. Um, good game against uh, Illinois. And Indiana, too. He mm-hmm. played well. I think Michigan State dodged a bullet <laughs> in a lot of ways against Ohio State. But the biggest way was they won that game against a high-level opponent with Rocket Watts not playing well. Now, one thing I liked about Rocket in that game is he was aggressive. Uh-huh. It's just Izzo is talking a lot, and he was saying this about Aaron Henry a lot earlier in the year, and he stopped saying it because Aaron stopped doing it. It's this notion of going up off of two feet as opposed to one foot. Yeah, I heard, I heard that a couple times. He said that a lot early in the year about Aaron, and Aaron's obviously straightened it out. And it's true if you look at it. Aaron is, his base is very solid when he's going into these shots. I don't think it's an accident that he's shooting much better. Mm-hmm. And I don't even just mean from three. I'm talking about in the paint. Rocket when Rocket does that, when he keeps his balance proper, he's much more effective. He has a tendency to get off kilter. And I think that's what was going on in part against Ohio State. Mm-hmm. Michigan State needs him to be a heavy minutes guy who's playing effectively. I just, we should probably mention, I don't think we've touched on it yet. The word seems to be that Foster Lawyer is unlikely to play again this season with his shoulder. The, the thought is he's probably going to require surgery. Yeah. So, that means Michigan State's got the hand that, that they've played the last three games with, right? Where it's Rocket, Hogard, and then you may cobble together some minutes with a combination of Aaron and Josh. That's really it. Uh, A.J. Hogard, in fairness to him, I thought did enough to hold the fort down against Ohio State. I personally do not want to count on that happening again. Mm-hmm. I don't have enough faith in him. Rocket needs to be better. He needs to be the guy he was against, not even in Illinois. If he's the guy he was against Indiana, you know, he had six points, but he ran the team decently. He defended well. He justified being on the floor. The offense hummed with him in there, even if he wasn't lighting it up in assists or scoring 15 points. They need him to be solid. Mm-hmm. And without that, man, it just increases the margin of difficulty so much because then you're, again, you're, you're asking AJ Hogard 
to do things that he hasn't shown any consistency in doing and or you're putting a lot more heat on guys in Henry and Langford that you're already asking a ton from. Yeah. Yeah. Because if you don't get production out of Rocket, then one of the three other guys, whether it's Hauser, Langford, or Henry, has to go above and beyond. You're asking Henry to get like right. – you know, 27 points or Langford to get like 18 or just to, the, the mental, the mental toll that it takes on you to have to run the offense and be that guy. Yeah. You know, if you're asking Aaron and Josh to do that for say five, six minutes a night between the two of them. Okay. Like the way they did against, um, uh, Ohio state where they closed the game that way. Yeah. Okay. That's all right. But if it has to be more than that, Man, that's just that's asking a ton. Mm-hmm. And again, with Hogard, maybe he'll surprise me, but I just don't have faith in him being able to consistently even deliver at the level he did against Ohio State, which let's be honest, he did some good things, did some positive things. He also had some defensive breakdowns, and that's the part that really worries me. Mm-hmm. Is I don't think He's a guy who is just so feast or famine on that, and he can go out and make a great play. You know, he had one against a Sunmu against Illinois. Um, he had a couple of nice defensive plays against Ohio State, but he also has some real issues sometimes with not understanding and and thereby being way out of position and getting burned. I mean, that's what ultimately he had a breakdown against Ohio State where Dwayne Washington got loose. I believe it was for a two-point shot where he did not understand the switch. You could see Josh pointing and yelling. He didn't recover. Timeout, Michigan State comes to the bench, and Izzo doesn't have to say anything. Josh Langford let into him, Mm -hmm. and he had come back in the game. That was it. You know, they knew, hey, we can't afford. At winning time in these kind of situations, Izzo's always going to default first to – who do I have that I can rely on to get me a stop? Mm-hmm. And you can't, in my mind, you can't possibly rely on AJ Hogard. If Rocket Watts has his head on straight, which he did not have against Ohio State, where he struggled defensively early in that game, but if Rocket Watts can be the Rocket Watts we saw the two games prior, you can trust him. Mm-hmm. I trust that guy. So he's just got to be better. Mm-hmm. Period. I don't think Michigan State could get over the hump in these last four games if he's not. Mm -hmm. Uh, So the fourth key, boards, um, particularly on MSU's offensive end. Yeah, this is, you know, Maryland is just not going to do anything on the offensive glass. If they do, it's a travesty. And we'll be talking about it as a huge negative. Let's assume that that plays out the way the stats would suggest to us it will. Then it comes down to Michigan State's offensive rebounding versus Maryland's defensive rebounding. Mm-hmm. This is not an elite MSU offensive rebounding team, but it's okay. It's in the 80s. Maryland's in the 40s as a defensive rebounding group. So whatever Michigan State can get done there in sec- terms of second chance points should give it an edge over what Maryland gets done. Mm-hmm. It's just a matter of how big the edge is, and you want it to be as substantial as possible. Yeah. Uh, and since they don't really get a whole lot of offensive rebounds, um, turnovers is the fifth key. Um, yep. It's the other side of that coin, right? Once again, we're looking at a team that doesn't turn it over a lot. They're in the top 60 
in turnover percentage. Michigan State, meanwhile, has slid back to the 180s. Um, on paper, that's a big differential. Against Ohio State, the difference was only three. MSU had three more turnovers than Ohio State. You can live with that, particularly if there aren't a lot of literally live ball variety. Mm. You know, you don't you don't want to give away easy points. Um, so that to me is the key. Can you keep that margin low enough that it doesn't do you a great deal of damage? Okay. Um, any final thoughts heading into Maryland here? This one will be on uh, tomorrow at two. It's a big game, obviously. Um, you're playing a team that is also coming in with a lot of confidence. They've won four straight. They've gotten off the mat, too. A lot of similarities to Michigan State in that sense. They're at home, so that's an advantage. Um, it's a big game for MSU. I am of the belief that if Michigan State wins its next two, they win this game, they follow that up with a win at home against Indiana, the Michigan games are gravy. I really believe that. Um, I think two wins by MSU gets it done. Nine and 11 in this league with the wins that they have. And frankly, what a win over Maryland, a likely tournament team would mean as well. Um, you know, because at that point, then you'd have possibly, if you figure Duke's a tournament team, uh, which is precarious, but now, you know, at this point, it looks like a decent probability. Rutgers certain to be a tournament team so that's two um and then you'd have uh well you'd have illinois ohio state is four maryland would be five that would be a minimum of five wins over tournament teams at pending what indiana does who i think is in trouble but i don't think they're officially dead yet Mm -hmm. that starts to look a lot better you know and particularly with illinois and ohio state as elite wins Mm -hmm. Um, so I think it's a very big game, um, you know, with the way Michigan is playing this year, tall order, you know, and, and the rivalry puts enough pressure on everybody to begin with. If you're going into that game feeling that you absolutely have to win it or one of them, that's even more heat mm-hmm. and that I would rather them be feeling much more secure. If they win these two games, then I think they can go into those Michigan games with kind of a nothing to lose, just let it rip kind of attitude. And I like the odds for springing an upset better with that mindset than if they're feeling like they're pressing and they need it, mm-hmm. you know, um, just with this team, that's how I'd feel. On the other hand, you could argue when you look at how they've responded when their backs truly were against the wall and there was nobody believing they had a chance, they've responded. So maybe they would respond to having their backs against the wall again, but I'd rather not chance it. Mm-hmm. So I think it's a big game. And just keeping the momentum going. You know, this team believes in itself now. So keep that going. Yeah. Keep giving yourself a reason to believe. And by then, uh, you there's probably a really good chance that Michigan will – it may have even already wrapped up a championship oh, I think before they have. the first game. I think yeah. they have. Yeah, I think it's over. I mean, there's just no – they're going to determine it based on winning percentage from what I understand. There's, there's just no way that Michigan doesn't win this thing. So, um, yeah, you know, Michigan – where is Michigan going to be? Are they going to continue to be as locked in? 
under normal circumstances, if they were just playing an average Big Ten opponent in those last two games, I'd say, yeah, there's a chance that they let up. The fact that it's Michigan State is probably ideal for them. Yeah. Right, because there's just no excuse for not being locked in. So that that unfortunately that probably plays to their advantage. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll get the post game up after tomorrow's game. Until then, the final four is not on the schedule. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.